You're listening to Randstad Sourcerite's Talent Navigator podcast. Join us to hear about the latest research, talent trends and success stories from human capital leaders who are driving their organizations forward with smart workforce planning strategies. We're pleased to have everyone join us for our discussion today to really discuss 2023's uh, top talent trends. So to get us started, my name is Louisa Wilson. I'm the Chief Growth Officer for Randstad Enterprise, which brings together Randstad Sourcerite, Randstad Ricemart and Randstad Enterprise Group. Just a bit of housekeeping before we get started today. Uh, we are recording today's session because I'm sure many of you are going to want to share this session with your colleagues following this call. Uh, we also have time to take questions throughout. And so please add them to the Q&A or the chat and we'll ensure that we're facilitating those questions either at the end of the session, but if you have a really great one, we'll pepper it through to our, our speaker lineup. So let's get ourselves started. I think it's good to start with a bit of a story. I can just imagine for all of the leaders out there with us today, you've been waking up mesmerized over reading the news for the last three weeks by the continued threat of quiet quitting, closely followed by rage applying, but be careful not to quiet quick because you could be in line to get quietly promoted. <laughs> but even if you actually do quit, there is a good chance you have the unique skills to either quietly get hired or rehired. All of this is amongst the world's lowest jobless rates. And 53 years whilst layoffs continue to happen in mass, particularly across some of our industries, but at the same time, we see tech still in high demand. Even with all of this, according to PwC's recent CEO survey, 40% of CEOs are concerned their companies won't exist 10 years from now, which I find absolutely amazing, that they themselves should be focused more on uh, transformation than execution, and that labor shortages will continue to be a large, uh, to a large extent, really impact their profitability. So Maul, I'm sure everyone out there would agree today, we live in a world of mixed messages and fluctuating market impacts. So it's with real pleasure today that I'm excited to introduce you to our special speakers. Our special speakers today are going to share with us their unique insights and methodologies on how to build a talent strategy blueprint that really looks at creating clarity with purpose. It rides through these times with resilience and it really continues to build talent as the ultimate business and competitive advantage. So a big welcome to Zora Yafai, who is the global leader for talent acquisition with Cisco. She has over 15 years of experience with Cisco and proven experience from design to execution of talent, HR and workforce solutions that drive the business competitive advantage for Cisco. And she really truly believes in the power of an inclusive culture to materialize all of our business goals. A big welcome to Janet Mertens. Uh, Janet is Senior Vice President of Research at the Josh Burson Company. Janet has over 20 years of experience. I feel like we've got some great talent here today. Um, and she's uh, really experienced in advising organizations in areas of uh, human strategy and management, enterprise learning and human resources. And in this role, Janet conducts a range of empirical research on a vast variety of topics that are really related to work and leads the development of how you turn that research into action insight for all of today's talent executives. And finally, our own CEO, Mike Smith. Uh, Mike is CEO, uh, Chief Executive of Randstad Enterprise and a 15 plus year talent industry leader that is focused on enabling the world's largest enterprise companies to drive business agility by putting people at the center of their business strategies and everything that they do. 
So big welcome to our lineup today. I think you all all agree we've got a lot of expertise on the call, so we're looking forward to all of you helping us navigate the times forward. But before we get started, I think it's good to have just a reflection on the research that underpins our conversation today. Now in its eighth year, Ransett Enterprise Talent Trends uh, Research provides insights in, uh, for human capital leaders on how we can drive our business agility and results through our talent strategies. The survey was completed by around 900 C-suite and human capital leaders this year across 18 different markets across the world, of which you can see up on screen. We do delve into some key industries and the insights impacting those industries from banking and financial services, life sciences and pharma, IT and technology and high value manufacturing. So really broad spread of industries that we get some unique and critical insight into. The Talent Trends Report is packed full of trends and rich data that we've gathered uh, to provide you with some really valuable insight that will help us going into the rest of this year when it comes to what are those top talent trends and how do we really define our organizational priorities. I would of course love to share every single trend with you today and all, but I also encourage you to read the full report. And what we're going to delve into is really um, some key trends across what we see as three red threads. The number one is how do you create a business advantage from this market uncertainty? Number two, how do we guide talent to achieve their true potential? And finally, how do we deliver meaningful mission-driven work experiences? So because we only have 50 minutes together today, and I really want to get on to talking with our speakers because I think we're going to have a great conversation, we're going to dive into four hot trends that we think are at the heart of where and how we can create impact as leaders this year. So I'm going to move on to our first trend of today, which is really about how we're putting value creation back at the top of all of our priority lists. One of our great research and analyst partners, Everest Group says, our advice to enterprises is not to obsess about the uncertainty of their external environment, but instead focus on creating agility to respond with speed to situations that unfold. If I look back across the last few years and that continued state of flux and that state of flux and messaging that we're in today, it would be easy based on all the mixed messages and uncertainty for HR and talent leaders to drop back into what we've called firefighting. So I'm really uh, pleased to see we've actually seen a reverse in the trend. And now 77% of human capital leaders say their talent strategies are more about total value creation today than cost savings. So let's hear it from our experts on what does value creation mean? I think that's a really long and broad term. So Janet, let's start with you. Uh, what does value creation mean to you? Thanks, Louisa. Oh, it's great to be here. Um, looking forward to, to such a uh, uh, fascinating conversation. Um, you know, what I love about this question and, and you know, what we're doing at, at the uh, Josh Burson Company is really digging into what is happening now as we come out of the you know, incredible amount of disruption over the past, not just two years, really 10, maybe 12 years um, of, of near nonstop disruption and, and starting to really think about what does each part of HR, you know, um, what lessons have we learned? And so we did a big study ourselves um, at Burson into talent acquisition. We've been looking at employee experience. We've been looking at, you know, um, uh, learning and development, all of these, these big functional components. And what we're really learning um, around leadership in HR, leadership in, in talent acquisition has, has really led us to what we're calling systemic HR. Um, it's the 4R model, which is 
really to say that everything in HR now is connected. And so as, as organizations are starting to um, stabilize after the last several years, um, the leaders, the pace setters, as we call them, the, the, the organizations that are just leading the way and outperforming in terms of you know, financial performance and uh, innovation and market leadership, they are making connections between talent acquisition, learning and development, um, org design in ways that their peers just aren't. And when I think about you know, the companies that led the way in our talent acquisition study especially, those are organizations that are thinking about recruiting much beyond the boundaries of, of standard sort of traditional recruiting and getting away from, as you say, that order taking um, mentality, really linking um, talent acquisition to redesign. You know, so if a job, I mean, we've got organizations who have, who have shared with us, you know, as job uh, postings or job recs become, um, you sort of come by the TA desk, the conversation is naturally, what is that job? Is that the right job for the future? Where does that job fit into our structure? How do we design jobs differently with skill variety? Um, how do we reskill or look for organizational talent inside the company walls? So really making those connections across reskilling, redesigning, recruiting and retaining rather than just thinking about talent acquisition as um, that sort of downstream order taking uh, external recruiting. Janet, I really love that. Um, I feel that the acquisition has come off talent acquisition leadership mm -hmm. and it's all around talent leadership today. And if I think about an organization that is pushing beyond board, board, uh, boundaries and borders all the time is, uh, is our, uh, you know, our partner of Cisco. And Zora, so I'd love to hear from you in terms of when you're defining what does value creation mean in terms of your talent strategy and for Cisco, what does it mean to you? Thank you, Louisa, and thank you, Janet, for the, for the wonderful insights. Um, you know, this is one of those things where absolutely I can share where we're coming at it from a Cisco perspective. But uh, I think as Janet just mentioned there, like no one has totally figured out how to do this. And I think it's a really exciting time. So if any of you are sitting there listening, going, oh, my company's not quite got this yet. Or not even, you know, like totally normal, because I think we're all grappling with what is this new normal, as Janet said, after all those years of disruption. Um, what we're doing is we're trying to be really thoughtful about the scenario planning, right? And so we're trying to think through, you know, no one's got a crystal ball, but if you had a crystal ball, you know, what does the next 12, 18 months look like? Um, I was joking in my organization the other week that if you'd have told me a year ago the work I'm doing today, I'd have laughed you out of the room because we were in the middle of the great resignation and filling a record number of fills. And now we're focused on internal mobility and retention and growth, right? Um, and so I, I think there's a there's there's the value for us is as talent acquisition leaders, we have to think fundamentally differently about what our job is. It's not that reactionary as, as, as you say, you know, kind of filling the role. It's looking upstream and downstream. So within Cisco, actually, the tech acquisition organization, we've been moved into a group purposefully called people growth. So I'm now aligned with my peers in learning and development, um, workforce planning, looking at our skills. Um, and so that physically, just the structure of that allows us to kind of work a little bit differently um, and be thinking about that, calling it connective tissue, right? What does the work look like? Um, so that's one thing. And then I think just you know, really doing the scenario planning with that agile methodology of like, if we take the time to make it perfect before we land the solution, 
the, the opportunity will have passed us. So we're really trying to, as a bit of a cultural change, we're really trying to get into that agile methodology of, you know, kind of designing as we go and getting feedback and user-centric design. Uh, I think we all have to think really differently about how we work to make sure that the business outcomes are at the center of the value that we're trying to create. Sorry, I love that. Uh, one of our leaders used to say that uh, perfection can be the enemy of speed when you're looking to drive that level of agility and experimentation in this type of market environment to be able to drive that level of uh, both adaptability but resilience to be able to shift with all the changes that happen. So, Mike, you speak with a number of organizations globally that face this challenge in different ways every day. So, Mike, if you were to define both to yourself as a CEO but also uh, for uh, the client organizations that we work with, what does value creation really start to mean? So I, uh, before I answer that, Lou, I just want to double click on something Zora said, which I think is uh, incredibly relevant in the current times. And um, to your point, at the start of the call, we are talking about the, all the different quiet labels that are being applied in the market at the moment and how incredibly difficult it is to predict anything that's going to happen in the next six or nine months and the amount of contradictory data that exists out there. Um, and the thought process about rather than trying to make sense of that understand it and then act the idea of just utilizing what base level information you have or you have and then acting on that but then being prepared to be agile on how you act on that i would absolutely implore organizations and talent acquisition to think about that and in all of the talent acquisition organizations that we're partnering with or have the pleasure of talking to at the moment that kind of acting your way into a new way of thinking and building that muscle over time is something that I'm seeing working for them in gaining some sort of competitive advantage at the moment. When it comes to, to value creation, obviously I'd like to think that all organizations exist to add value in some way, shape or form, whether that be for their own stakeholders and uh, their communities, their, their people, who they touch, et cetera. Um, when, it, when that's in the lens of TA and HR at the moment, uh, the value creation there, I think, is being able to genuinely say the work that we're doing is inextricably linked to creating unparalleled and sustained competitive advantage in the achievement of our overall business strategy. Um, uh, when, when TA and HR are working together with other cross-functional members of the business to be able to genuinely get that right, uh, and the key there being it's not easily imitatable. It's not something that's like a, a, a focused on like we do it cheaper than everyone else. Um, uh, it is more focused on that unparalleled, sustainable, competitive advantage through people and the management and acquisition of people. I think that's when real value creation comes to life. Thanks, Mike. And I, I think an interesting question, let's go back to Zora on this one just to you know, double click into that and, and just have a think about because we are going through those market times and they're all a bit like this. And, you know, one time, like you said, Zora, we're investing in bringing lots of people into the organization and then they were changing to invest in uh, how do we really internally mobilize our talent and grow our talent potential for the future. And alongside of that is a business and a budget. <laughs> so how, you know, in terms of when we're in this kind of state of flux, and I, as I said, it's exciting to see that we've got value creation over cost here, but how do we maintain that focus on value creation while we may be pressured for cost savings in this current type of environment? 
So I think it's it's about that's a great question. I think it's about being able to demonstrate that uh, by doing the forward-looking planning and the scenario planning, you're actually finding ways to save costs, right? So if we look at what's happening in the market right now, unfortunately, you know, layoffs are expensive, right? And so this kind of overhiring that um, a lot of uh, kind of companies have, have kind of said, look, we may be overinvested here. Like now we're having to downsize. That's really expensive. And so for me, it's about trying to make sure that we are, you know, talking to the importance of the scenario planning and getting it right um, in order to kind of have the best cost model we can possibly have. And that might be, you know, the cost of the TA team, every TA team is under budget constraints, but like think of the cost of the entire company, the cost of making the, you know, incorrect hires, the cost of making too many hires, the cost of not making enough hires in the right place for your business transformation. I think these are some of the things that as a TA team, again, not taking the, the order on the recs, but trying to talk about some of these things or ask the questions, right? Like, how's this gonna drive the business outcome? Is this gonna give the value you need? Maybe creatively problem solving in different ways. Is it a contractor versus a permanent headcount? Trying to advise in different ways. Um, but I just fundamentally don't think we can achieve that cost rationalization if we're not trying to do some sort of scenario planning and get agreement internally on on what does good look like and, and agree and go forward together. And I think Zara, from the sounds of it also the scenario planning allows for cost agility. It's really being able to shape and shift relative to the scenario that you're looking at and that more focused in on different scenarios to address a certain challenge or opportunity enables that level of ability to better manage costs. So I uh, you know really love that focus on agility. Um, now, talking about quiet, we have a bit of a quiet audience. So if there's any questions again, please don't uh, hesitate to put them in the chat or the uh, Q&A. And uh, we'd look forward to answering any questions that you may have either peppered throughout or at the end. But we're going to move on to our second trend for today, which is how can you overcome talent scarcity with a purposeful talent experience? You know, lending back to the introduction, we're seeing talent scarcity still remains a significant structural challenge in many areas of scarce skills. So, you know, I think it's important for us to think about asking ourselves a question every day is are our talent strategies really aligned with our workforce's personal and professional values? I think since the start of the pandemic nearly three years ago, I can't believe it's actually three years ago, uh, organizations really mobilized to support the safety, well-being, um, and that feeling of safety in their culture for all of their workforces. And it became a new social contract for employers and employees. Um, I love it that our global head of talent branding and marketing Francesca Campolani, she really calls it defining your relationship value proposition and that really holistic talent and uh, people experience today. So I think it's really heartening that uh, over three quarters of the human capital leaders that we surveyed uh, really say that talent experience has become more important over the last 12 months, probably not super surprising given this really strong focus on talent as a competitive and sustained advantage like Mike mentioned. So Janet, I'm going to go back to you. I love that thinking about that systemic HR, that connected HR and your four R's. Uh, let's have a think about this one. Which stakeholders should really come together to collaborate across their organizations to develop those holistic um, um, and evolve those holistic relationship value propositions and that beautiful people experience that really attracts and engages and retains their talent? Yeah, and you know, and I'm reflecting on our first, um, you know, the first question that we were talking about, and I think there were a couple of words I want to start with on this one, and it really, um, there's, there's two in particular, I think both of them kind of um, uh, came up in the conversation, one is creative and one was curious. 
And I think for organizations that we're seeing at the top of their game, I mean, in our research, very similar to this, um, you know, maybe a quarter of companies are really getting this right, um, you know, really uh, kind of flexing all the right muscles. This is not an easy thing to do. And it's the companies who are curious, who are creative, who are experimenting um, and, and not, you know, perpetually experimenting. Um, when we think about experience in particular and the, the relationship value proposition, um, which I love, sort of that shift away from just employees as we think about different types of uh, folks in the workforce, different types of, of um, players in, in the, uh, you know, in the, the talent conversation. I mean, it's it's the big challenge, and I know Zara, you're going to talk a little bit about this. Is that it really is everyone, right? So who who shouldn't you be collaborating with in um, in your organization and in your uh, in the market, right? With with your job seekers. Every conversation that I've had in the past two years, and again, I have the you know the privilege um, of speaking with heads of TA and and HR executives um, every day. Every conversation has been about what is our new value proposition for employees? What, how do we uh, not just attract new talent, but how do we engage them? How do we unlock that potential and unlock innovation among our workforce? And, um, and the lessons have been many. I mean, this has been a conversation about authenticity. It's been a conversation about consistency. Um, you know, in the last couple of years, especially given some of the geopolitical um, uh, trends that have been shaping, uh, I shouldn't use the word trends, uh, geopolitical activities that have been shaping our, our, um, our, our world, uh, you know, companies are recognizing that their employer brand is no longer separate from their corporate brand. So that consistency of messaging across, um, you know, who you are as a company. Candidates and job seekers are look and employees are looking for everything, right? They're looking for purpose. They're looking for perks. They're looking for pay, uh, equal pay, pay equity. They're looking for flexibility. So this is really um, a, a challenging time. And I think what companies, you know, one thing that and I want to hear from from Zara and Mike, but one thing that we're really seeing is a um, a, a sort of a among the leaders, it's a um, an acknowledgement of sort of the good, the bad, the ugly, right? What is your organization's purpose? What are the the warts and all that you um, can communicate transparently with your workforce, with your talent, with the market that builds that trust, builds that transparency, and and how do you um, how do you consistently and constantly rethink this is not a destination, right? The value proposition between employer and employee does not change or does not um, stay the same rather, it, it changes all the time. So so that's what I think we are seeing in the in the market is, is really this um, ongoing uh, experimentation with, um, with, the, with employees and job seekers. Thanks, Janet. And I had had the distinct pleasure of actually having a number of conversations with Zora around this topic uh, with Francesca. And so I think it's super interesting when you dive into it that uh, not only are you looking at building your holistic relationship value proposition across your whole talent ecosystem, which is inside your company, but most definitely external to your organization and across all talent types and uh, supplies of talent to your organization. I think it's interesting to think about that um, experience from end to end, or what I actually prefer to say from end to end and then from start 
start to beginning to end to start to beginning. <laughs> so Zora, um, when we have a uh, think about this one for you, what does this look like in Cisco when you're really de um, delivering on or driving that total uh, approach to a relationship value proposition and what that means in terms of creating unique experiences at Cisco? Yeah, and firstly, Louise, a huge shout out to Francesca and you for the hours of conversation that we've had on this um, and, and the guidance and the leadership, thought leadership you, you guys have shared with us because it's really kind of, um, you know, helped how we think about it. Um, at Cisco, we say that, you know, talent acquisition, hiring, it's a team sport. And that's the kind of cultural journey that we've been on over the last 18 months, right? Very much prompted by the great resignation. And, and again, we were we were lucky to fare with a little bit lower attrition than, than the average in the tech industry, but still, right, it was very disruptive. And so having a tech acquisition team, you know, kind of solely responsible for that outcome for the company isn't realistic. And so we drove a lot of that. We're really lucky to have those partnerships in our business. So um, I think that shared accountability just going forward culturally just needs to be acknowledged and we have to start thinking about our systems and our processes to make sure that um you know we're doing that in a way that actually required us to maybe open up some of our you know kind of licensing and, and processes so that the business could actually kind of play in our space and so that is that is definitely a cultural change um i would say you know what's our rec volume has gone down I don't know whether anyone else out there is going to agree with me. Our work is kind of going up. And it is a little bit of that acknowledgement, right? Which is that because it's a team sport, there's just other work to do now, right? And so um, I think that shift, like kind of we've been talking with our within our team about like, you know, recs for resources, is that the appropriate measure anymore? Um, because actually the work is different, right? As you build those relationships, as you work differently with finance or workforce planning, or you're learning a development organization um, or your internal mobility organization, um, I think the work has shifted and changed and those relationships are more broad, more important um, because what employees or candidates want to experience is you know, very much kind of a, a, a kind of not, not one experience here and then they go into their onboarding and it's a different experience and they go into their learning and development journey or their manager journey, it's a totally different experience again. And so, you know, we're having to think very differently about what that work is. Uh, we're in it right now, so, um, but we're open to it, right? We're open to the fact that this has to evolve and change um, and we're kind of crafting that as, as best we can for the journey that we're on, right? Thanks, Sarah. And I know uh, Mike is uh, passionate about this topic as well and may even have some questions back for you and uh, Janet relative to this one. But uh, Mike, I think it's a, you know, it's a, a really interesting thing that Zora has mentioned because you can have different experiences and pockets right across your organization if you don't create that systematic approach. And Zora, I loved when we were discussing and prepping for this session, uh, we and Janet, we started to talk about it's more of a system than an operating model, that you really have to look at uh, connected systems across your whole connected HR and talent environment to really look at how can you uniquely address all of those different experiences to build that consistency. So Mike, have you seen organizations do this really well and what does that look like? Because I, you know, I think that if there's some great advice uh, out for the audience today, what are some of the big things that they can think about as they start to build that more systemic uh, experience? 
Sure. So yeah, I've seen a couple of uh, what I would call kind of pace setters in this space. Uh, people that uh, or organisations that certainly haven't worked it out to the the, the uh, perfect and harmonious way of working yet, but they're they're thoughtful and intentional about recognising that there's value creation to be had in this space in terms of differentiation and competitive advantage. So um, uh, typically, what you see is them creating cross-functional teams of people within organisations that typically kind of consist of people in. Uh, first and foremost, HR, talent acquisition, um, uh, recruitment, marketing, uh, typically HR, people sciences, you'll have some IT, finance, procurement, operations, lenses in there as well. And it, it starts with the, this broader recognition or theme that, or belief potentially, that work is going to get done in a, 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 or today and increasing in the future in a very different w range of ways. You're going to have statement of work services, you're going to have contingent workers, you're going to have uh, part-time gig workers, you're going to have full-time people in the office, hybrid, you're going to have uh, outsourced relationships for portions of it. And uh, what they're thinking about is there should be three or four principles that should be consistent in how those people feel and interact with our organization irrespective of what particular channel that they're working with us from and and how long they work for us for and what criticality they play in that process and then secondly they then kind of double down and saying okay well in those specific peers what are the one uh one of the one or two pieces of differentiated experience that we want to bring to life so for example in the sow space they might say we want to reduce our cost of uh, that organization trying to serve or sell into us. We want to make it easier for them to understand how to do work for us. So we become more attractive for outsourced, let's say, IT organizations to want to do business with us. And then what, what should a good experience look like in that scenario? Um, uh, so I, I, that cross-functional team being intentional about what are the two or three principles of relationship value proposition you want to be consistent across them, and then then being a bit more thoughtful about the ones underneath that and what are differentiators to help future-proof your access uh, to talent and getting work done are certainly one of the, some of the best practices I would see. And then on the whole people experience front, Lou, I mean, there's lots of organizations that have really started to delve into this to kind of say, and let's just take the example of their own internal permanent workforce. What are the, what are the moments that are really memorable in people's lives and how can we make sure that they're inextricably connected to a fantastic experience with our organization? So like the first day back from maternity or paternity leave, how can you make that a tremendous experience for someone that makes them think, wow, my organization knows and cares about both my personal and professional status at the moment. And the fact that they've gone out of this way to make this a trend, a, a great experience for me, you get better engagement, you get better uh, uh, referrals, the, the list goes on in terms of positivity from that. That can only be enabled with data and personalization at scale. Um, so cracking that code is still something that absolutely needs to be done, but you see a lot of organizations really leaning into that at the moment. Thanks, Mike. Let's go back to Zorro just for a quick question. Zorro, if you could think back in your history of Cisco, it might be recent, it might be years back, but if you think about um, maybe some critical things that you have uh, developed with the team at Cisco that have really created that experience that attracts and, like we say, create those memorable moments with, with talent and uh, people in the organisation, what are a couple of examples that you think really stand out to you? 
Um, I would actually maybe talk about what we're doing with internal mobility right now, to be honest. Um, I think partnering with Randstad on, um, you know, making sure that whilst we're trying to drive internal movement, we're doing that with career coaching and resume coaching and partnering in just a different way, because that is a transition that talent needs to make. And so, you know, we say kind of, you know, at Cisco, one job, many careers, right? Um, and but how do you bring that to life? To your point, Mike, like, what is the actual tangible way in which we can do that? And I think um, by looking at what those gaps are, you know, Janet, you said it'd be curious, right? What are the gaps? As we, we were listening to our employees, it's like, well, kind of, I've not applied for a job for 10 years. I don't, I don't really know how to do that, you know, or, or I'm out of my comfort zone on that. Um, how do I do that? I'm not sure. I've just kind of, you know, been really fortunate in how I've looked at jobs before. They've been given to me as an opportunity, but now I've got to go and, and be more in the driving seat around that. What does that look like to me? Um, and so coming together a little bit with our learning and development organization, we've actually really fortunate this week. We are just off the back of two full days dedicated within the company to an event called Illuminate. Um, and this this Illuminate uh, was focused on career and career growth. And so we've literally just spent two days with the likes of, and you've probably seen um, a lot of this on social media, but, you know, guest speakers like Michelle Obama and Ariana Huffington just coming and sharing about their career. And what does that look like for them and bringing to life um, for our employees? Like, how, what does that look like? How do, how do you grow and how do you develop and how do you learn? So we're trying to think about, you know, just if I take internal movement, how do I partner with, um, you know, our learning and development leader and then, you know, focus more on careers and then get the outcomes that we're driving for in a really thoughtful way for our employees. Because if, if we're finding it hard, they're finding it hard. Everyone's finding it hard right now. Um, and so just leaning into that and acknowledging it and, and, and doing the best we can to support um, it would, be, would be probably the best example, Louisa, I could think of right now. Thanks, Sarah. I love that one. Uh, one job, many careers. I feel like I may have had that, that sort of experience within our own company. And, uh, you know, we looked at our talent DNA within our um, areas of our growth group last year and creativity and curiosity really comes through. And I think those organizations that are looking at being super curious about what's happening within their environment and outside their environment and translate that, translating that into impactful strategies is uh, super uh, important. But Sarah, you've made, made a really nice segue <laughs> to our next trend for today, which is really how how are we unlocking workforce uh, potential with internal mobility? I'm sure that everyone here today would agree that uh, to be successful in today's complex environment, building a strong pl uh, platform for internal talent mobility that really deploys targeted upskilling, reskilling, supports workers into that many different careers that they can have in the organization is super important as we look at the immediate and future business demands. Um, I, again, loved our prep for this session because we had a really good uh, challenging conversation and debate with each other about because a lot of organizations then think I'm going to put in a technology platform and I'm going to solve this wonderful business challenge and opportunity with uh, technology. Uh, so we had a great conversation around spending time, investment and effort on talent mobility technology platforms or investing time and effort on fostering that true culture of mobilization and helping everyone to realize their potential. So I'm gonna to flick to, uh, uh, back to you, uh, Zora, in relative to Cisco, because you've been on quite a journey relative to how you're really fostering that culture. I loved uh, when you were just talking about that, you know, many times internal employees are applying to roles. They're asked to do a CV. They're asked to go through about five or six interviews. Super interesting. <laughs> and they're really 
it's it's brand new to them again they haven't done it in the last maybe even five years so it's a it's how can you really help help them be accomplished even throughout that process of moving around their careers so zara let's go back to you how is cisco fostering a culture that really encourages this growth potential and the development of all of your people into that one job at many careers at cisco uh, I could probably talk all day on this, but I, <laughs> it's something we're really passionate about right now. Um, but, you know, I will say just, just generally in the market, in the industry, I was seeing some data from LinkedIn the other day, how job security was, was trending way up in terms of the motivators for job seekers right now. And so let's just acknowledge that there's an element of, of that kind of like psychological safety that we all have to create because it's it's really it, it's uncertain times ahead and it's been troubling times. Um, and so I think, you know, number one, that's something that we just have to acknowledge that's that's the environment that we're trying to operate in. You can't shut the doors on your company and pretend like what what's happening outside isn't happening and reflecting internally. And so, you know, that's kind of one thing I would say. I think we talked earlier on um, about the fact that it is a system. It is not one thing. It is not, you know, one, one. hey, yes, we launched this technology platform and now that's going to kind of change the way that we think and look at, at, at this work. Um, you know, at Cisco, if I think about that entire system, the work that I'm doing lands in broad work. It lands in work where we have an expectation that our leaders launch an engagement pulse once a quarter that checks in with employees anonymously around like, how are you feeling about your role? How are you feeling about the company? How are you feeling about how you grow? We also ask leaders and employees to check in. We do have a tool for this, uh, but check in with their leader once a week, right? Here's what I hated about last week. Here's what I loved about last week. Here's the value I'm, I'm hoping to add this week. Um, and as leaders, we can kind of comment and, and, and check in. So, so acknowledging that we're not going to have that that kind of growth and, and you know one job, many careers opportunity if you know our leaders aren't engaged with their employees and they're working together. And so, when we talk about it being a system, I truly believe that that you have to look at the whole system and everything. All the incentives have got to be working towards the goal that you're trying to. Um, trying to set um, and you're trying to achieve. So um, I think that's really important. I also think on this one, it's really important to try and to learn, right? So we were talking about that um, earlier on, which is, you know, when we set out to do some of this work and we ran a program in the summer that, you know, I was kind of like, oh, this was a tough program. And we said from the start, the value of this is probably more so gonna be from what we learned from it than maybe like kind of tangible, like, you know, how normally attribute success, like number of hires or number of, you know, it's going to be like, what did we learn? And we learned so much. We're still kind of caving through what we learned in order to be able to design for the future. Um, and so I, I really do think that's something to double click on here when it comes to how you think about that. You know, you might land something and think, our employees are going to love this. I hate it right? Or they see a cynical side of it, right? Or you might think, oh, we'll just, you know, put that thing out there. And employees like a blow up, like yesterday, there was this wonderful moment on Illuminate where somebody volunteered something and it blew up. And it just, it just was this wonderful thing where we now as an HR team are looking going, that's interesting. So being curious and trying to learn a little bit as we, as we navigate forward. 
Um, but you know, that's what I would say certainly is we have to acknowledge the environment, we have to create that safety, and we really have to think about the system that we're landing into when we think about internal movement. It's a lot about employee experience and belonging as well. Thanks, Zora. And I think uh, I'm going to move on to Janet now, because Janet, if we think about that, comes back to that con connected systemic approach. It's not an operating model, it's actually systemic to the organisation. And Zora, you talked about how your goals, policies, everything, incentives really need to align back to the system. And it sounds like you've also had some great learning, uh, Zora, with the agility around experimentation, but even things that you don't expect and how do you use those as learning moments uh, within our talent organisations that directly give you feedback from your employees that you may never have got. I thought that was super interesting interesting to listen to. But Janet, uh, tell me, if we go back to uh, thinking about that systemic notion of uh, HR, uh, what are other uh, talent organisations thinking about when they're looking at fostering this type of culture that really looks to many careers in one job with an organisation and some of the things that practically, you know, the audience with us today could take away and think about for their organisation? Uh, well, and Sarah, I loved the, um, you know, sort of the, the conversation that you're having and, and how you're looking at this as a journey, not a, not a destination, right? This really is a, um, uh, a, a long-term continuous, um, uh, it's, it's continuous work for us in, in HR and TA. You know, I'll go back to the, the notion of experience, right? And if we think about tracking employees through the through their many uh what did you say one job many careers i think right is that did i get that right um and i've heard that from other organizations as well you know our pace setters really when we think about what organizations are doing well they look internal mobility is hard right it, i mean it's really hard it's hard because of the technology and it's hard because of the process but it's also hard because of the culture piece and i think what organizations that are that are on this journey like Cisco like sorry you've shared this is about being really intentional and really thoughtful um, small experimentation and setting up and going right back to to, to um, that that psychological safety setting up a culture where it is okay to um, to move to grow to try as employees and and I think you know we've all heard of talent hoarding managers who are who are loath to uh to release their most you know their most precious most um prized talent so even shifting uh at a leadership at a management level what we're seeing some organizations really focus on is how do we incentivize how do we how do we um you know hold our people managers accountable for one company not individual teams within the company so how do we think about um, you know, measuring success in, as a people manager by the development of your people rather than by hanging on to, right? So productivity might look quite different um, when you start to think about growth and, um, and, and uh, progression in the company as a, as a measure of success. The, the other thing I think I would say is um, the psychological safety for, you know, building that safety for employees themselves. So, you know, we, we know there are challenges around performance management and and you know the processes how do we how do we track um uh progress how do we how do we manage um uh, our employees if they're moving but there are also really incredible stories of organizations that are building in that safety for their you know their employees to try on new jobs maybe their new projects maybe their gig work maybe they are cross functional projects maybe they are rotational assignments 
and having that opportunity to do that safely with career coaches that may or may not be your functional manager, right? So um, maybe it's um, providing coaching, external coaching for, for employees, you know, at scale. But building in that safety again at, at the employee level is really crucial. Um, and then, you know, I think there's a natural connection here. And the question, the big question is, how do we know who has what skills? So we can't have a conversation about internal mobility without talking about skills, visibility and granular, you know, sort of awareness in your organization about the skills. And that is, you know, that's an ongoing challenge for, for organizations to um, to grapple with. Right. Where are the skills um, that I have internally? How can I best um, leverage those skills and how do I tap into skills that I didn't even know that I had? Thanks, Jan. I think you might have touched the heart of Mike Smith then. Uh, some of his huge passion areas relative to how do you really create visibility to your own talent. And I, I was reading a great article relative to one of the biggest things is, is if you can enable that visibility, you will be able to really then drive your strategies around that visibility. So, Mike, I know you are. <laughs> you love this topic. So uh, share a bit about that with us because we did start off the conversation relative to challenging ourselves as talent mobility is not putting in a technology and expecting that to work. It's got to be a lot more of embedding it in your culture so mike uh, tell us what that means to you yeah absolutely firstly just uh i 100 echo the sentiment of both sora and uh jenna and it's it's really hard to get this right if i look across like our 750 customers interestingly the ones that have the highest rates of internal mobility at the moment actually haven't enabled that through a platform they've done done so through data and making sure that there is a pool from their employees to keep their profiles as up-to-date as possible. And they've matched that with, a, there's an incentive to do so. Um, uh, it, it, I absolutely wanna be clear that if they then implemented a technology after that, then it would go even more gangbusters than what it is currently. But too often I see organizations saying, let's just buy a technology and hope it sells itself out when 90% of the problem is a cultural problem. When it comes to solving the cultural problem, and I was with a very large life sciences organization on this more recently, they'd have made a couple of efforts to try and get internal mobility in terms of actual job movement. Um, so moving from one job to another in the job corridor, let's call it that, and had struggled with that. And they'd had uh, decided to kind of back it up a little bit and move much more forward on gig assignments internally. Um, uh, and uh, specifically focus their area on uh, one global, their focus on one global division. And uh, over a 12 month period, they'd had 15% of their internal employees uh, undertake a gig assignment for between five and 10 hours per month. And uh, as a result of doing that, they then got to a scenario where they were now starting to see the stakeholder and hiring manager community wake up to the fact that there was so many other people within the organization who come with complementary skill sets. And as a result of that, it was creating a bit more of a willingness to think much more about internal mobility. So it was like one baby step towards creating the big journey. Uh, but one example that had really stuck with me over the last couple of weeks. Like in uh, listening to all of our speakers here, it's super interesting to think about. I love what you said, Janet, that, you know, if we start to think about actually the success of a manager is measured by the movement of their talent. And Mike, you've leveraged that to, the, uh, to that there, the openness to support 
gig work assignments, the openness to support mobility, the openness to support career coaching, etc. You know, we should all start to think that our success is actually how mobile our talent is within and throughout the organization. I think that's a good challenge to uh, set out to all of us. Totally, talent belongs to the company. To... Ah, sorry, Mike. <laughs> Say, talent belongs to the company. Absolutely. Can, can I share one more story that I think um, would resonate with this audience too? And, and I call it the deli counter story around um, around uh, talent mobility. You know, an organization that we have uh, talked at length with uses the analogy of the deli counter. And again, this goes back to that building that culture, building the, the, the psychological safety of movement. They have approached internal mobility from this perspective of, you know, you go to a deli counter, you don't need to worry about being served, right? You get your number and you know that you will be called. Um, that's how they're looking at talent mobility. <laughs> so everyone in there, you know, they started in a smaller group. Uh, I think it was new hires or grad, you know, early grad hires um, for career pathway conversations, but everyone gets a number and everyone has an opportunity to skill up, to look at adjacent skills and career pathways, to work with a career coach. And it became, you know, and, and I, I know where we're going in the conversation next is around DE&I. This was about adding equity as well to the conversation, right? So we've heard all the stories about organizations who just continue to tap the same, you know, 20% of the population um, who are known, who are leaders, who might have a certain set of skills. But part of the challenge in internal mobility conversations is creating that equity about knowing who and how to tap, you know, unknown skills in and you know and and folks in the organization who who you may not have visibility to so that deli counter approach has worked extremely well for this this organization and for employees who now have a you know sort of a a known path to get there and that you know they won't be missed I like that idea. Maybe it's one number, but a plethora of deli options, depending on what you want on any given day. Right. Uh, but I also think, uh, Janet, it uh, really comes back to that focus on equity. And that, that really drives back into that conversation around visibility, is that uh, to be more equitable, we really need to create strong visibility of all talent. Um, and I love that saying talent is owned by the company, but the company is also owned by talent. And I think that's the thing that we get to is, is driving that equity. So I love that our speakers are segueing between our topics today. Thank you. <laughs> You're making my life easier as a facilitator as well. But we are going to uh, jump into our last trend for today, um, which is really all about turning good uh, DE&I intentions into impactful actions. And Janet, you've already started to talk about that. But uh, as we look towards the environment again that we work in, I, I love to think that diversity, equity and inclusion efforts are often summed up as the idea of valuing all of those individual differences that we've just talked about that come together across all of our co-workers and our talent that really is on equal terms to build our workforce and business success and glad to see that we have some wonderful advocates around this today because I think that this is all about how you truly sustain that competitive advantage uh, not only in talent but out in the uh, out in the market and in business. So also we've heard from Rancid's uh, global research of more than 35,000 people that almost half of talent would not accept a job if an organization wasn't making a proactive effort to improve its diversity and, and, and uh, equity. And I think that's a really important to start to think about as we are about attracting, engaging and developing the potential of all of our talent. 
But I think the DNI today needs to move beyond strategy, good intentions and metrics to really needing to be deeply embedded in the organization fabric. And one of the things that I really talk about, and I know Janet, this is a, a fondness of you too, is that it's the red thread that really connects everything that we do and every single person within all of our organization. So I'm gonna start again with you, Janet, because I know this is a, a red thread passion area for you. Uh, tell me, what does a culture that truly embeds DNI from top to bottom in organizations look like? And do you have some really great examples of where organizations have re uh, really moved from good intentions to those really impactful actions and that impact? Absolutely. Well, and, and, and you know, I love that we are wrapping our conversation with this because it really is that that thread, that wrapper that that fits around or through all of the pieces we've talked about. You know, if I think about um, the four R's, right? Recruit, retain, reskill, and redesign. There are elements of diversity, equity, and inclusion that that thread through each. Whether it's you know, if I think about a company that we talked to who has in the recruiting space removed um, removed resumes, made the bold move to remove resumes from their early career hiring because it was limiting for all the wrong reasons uh, to, you know, perhaps um, certain schools or certain experiences. Um, companies are doing similar things with removing um, uh, accreditation requirements or degree requirements. So in recruiting, there are very specific DE&I actions that companies are taking. When we think about reskilling, uh, very similar idea of, what are the skills that an employee has that we don't know about and what are the adjacencies to those skills and what are those non-traditional career paths that and and great examples in retail um we've published a case study uh around an organization that has moved uh store employees through a process of becoming you know pharmacy techs um and those are you know those are non-traditional career paths for someone on a retail floor uh, redesign and retake. The, the stories don't stop around what actions organizations can be taking in every part, every kind of experience that they are designing uh, to ensure equity and inclusion and a sense of belonging. And it's, you know, it's, it's not a, uh, we've done lots of research on this subject. This is no longer a nice to do. This is a business imperative. There are, you know, there are demonstrated um, uh, outcomes that are that are impacted by by this work, and and to your point, Louise, as we started this, um, um, candidates, job seekers, employees, they expect it and they demand it now, uh, and and rightly so. Thanks, Jen. And I think that uh, this is a good, it's it's interesting that organizations still grapple with this, Mike, and uh, look to, you know, how do we really embed this as this red thread throughout organizations and what does that actually mean that we need to do every day that we come to work, every day that we lead our teams, uh, et cetera? So Mike, tell me what, when you're thinking about this question, what does it look like for you as the CEO of an organization, but also the many customers? Again, any examples of where you see organizations really moving the needle? Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> I think Lou, it's okay to admit that this is like, you're never finished on this journey, yeah? There's always room for improvement. The second learn, I think, uh, has been within our organization, and we've taken the lead from some of the other world's organizations, is it's okay not to try and do everything in this area. It's a very wide body of work that needs to be undertaken, and you should be unashamedly okay with saying, these are the three things in this area that we identify with as an organization that culturally and values-wise we think we can do something on. And as a result of that, 
we we are giving extra energy and effort to these three particular areas. Um, and uh, by doing that, you move the needle more as opposed to being in a situation where you kind of spread that energy across 10 or 15 particular uh, initiatives related to this, where it doesn't land in the organization or it doesn't feel like you're doing something. For the organizations that I think that, that are getting this right at the moment, they're, they're deliberately focusing on those two or three areas. And then they're mapping that all the way through the entire employee journey. So um, uh, I, I think uh, let's take a very large tech organization as an example. They've said, we would like to be able to hire more visually impaired employees. And that goes from everything to saying, okay, we now need to send our onboarding booklets in Braille. Um, uh, we need to make sure that um, uh, all of our platforms at work are being designed in an accessible way for visually impaired people. And they 100% like did some things and like, oh, wow, of course, that's not going to work for that individual. But the, the intentionality of mapping that all the way through and understanding how it changes from having that ambition at a strategic level and then taking the time and effort to actually go down to the very tactical level of what that means and how that should feel like, they're the organizations that I think are getting it right. And you can't do that across 10 or 15 things. You can only get that right when you're doing it on two or three things. And the, the last thing I'd say is they're really vulnerable in saying, we didn't think about that. Yeah, we should have. We should have got that right. And we're going to spend some time and effort to do it. And uh, I, in my experience, their employees are, are happy for them to come and say, yes, we got it wrong. And uh, uh, we see that in our own organization, that they give you more time, space, capacity to get it right when you admit you haven't got it right, but you want to get it right. Um, so th that would be just a couple of examples, I think, that really show on at the moment. Thanks, Mike. And uh, let's welcome Zora back because I think you've, uh, you know, when, when we talked about this uh, with Zora, we, she really talked about the breadth that they look at Cisco, but really the intentional prioritization. So, Zora, uh, let's welcome you back and think about, you know, how does the Cisco culture really embed your DNI from top to bottom? And how do you go about that level of prioritizations and focus that ensures that you are intentional but also driving impacts? Yeah. Um, so at Cisco, the company purpose, the purpose, the whole reason the company exists, the thing that we're all working to is to power an inclusive future for all. So there is not a corner of Cisco where we don't try and, and focus and prioritize, right? So often I was just having this conversation with my team yesterday where we were like, oh, we're going to have to go really fast at this thing. And then we like slowed ourselves down and we we're like, and how are we going to do it? with inclusion, equity, and diversity at the core of how we're thinking about this, right? And so I think that is important to remember, right? Which is, you know, how how do you do this? How, how you know, speed is, speed is your enemy sometimes when you're trying to do some of this work. And so the priority of just for saying we have to slow down and be thoughtful about this, I think is really important. Um, I'll say a couple of things, which is we, we have EROs, employee resource organizations within Cisco that we, you know, that that we really depend on. I mean, we really depend on, we seek their advice. And so that would be one thing I would say is, again, trying to focus a little bit on user-centric design before we're taking something out there. And I'm really fortunate that my team are actively involved in all of those EROs. I'm like, let's get some feedback on this. Let's see how this is going to 
um, you know, kind of land as we're trying to design solutions that, that get us to our goals. So that's one thing I would say around just making sure that you're actually investing in those um, in those groups. Um, and then we have other initiatives. Uh, we have like a proximity initiative for executives, for example. Again, I, I had my proximity meeting the other day and I won't share the details of it because it's confidential, but this woman blew my mind when I understood her life experiences and her experiences at Cisco and it's changing how I'm doing my job. And I think, you know, thinking through ways in which we can get more proximate to diverse talent, understand that the things that we're designing need to be in service of and to impact and to, to accelerate and to grow, um, I think is a really important um, one to think about as well. Um, so, you know, I love your point, Mike, around like having a very clear focus on what you're going to do. We have, um, and I encourage anyone to read the Cisco Purpose Report, but we have 12 social justice actions, for example. Um, it's a particular area where we've invested a lot of money and a lot of time to say we are going to accelerate and make an impact here. Um, we're a member of the 110 Coalition, which is a phenomenal organization. Janet, we also provide a large number of our roles to people without traditional four-year degrees. So I think all of these things are important. And, you know, we we try to think very broadly, but again, going back to that team sport thing, it's not just my team that's accountable to driving this. I'm very fortunate at Cisco that we have that broader company purpose and that everybody's kind of rowing in the same direction to achieve it. Um, sometimes I think, yeah, it's a bit hard to kind of, everyone's coming at you with ideas and things that they want to do. We're kind of like, hang on a second, we're really focusing our resources here and then we can move to that one later. Um, that can sometimes be a little bit of a hard internal message. Um, but I agree, you know, anyone that knows me, it's like do a few things really well, then move on to the next thing and do those really well. So Mike, you and I are definitely speaking the same language on that one. So those are just be a few things that I would share um, the, of how we're thinking about it and how we prioritize it and how we think about the work and putting the user at the center of what we're designing. Sorry, I love the sound of those proximity meetings, even something simple that you can put in place to really understand the unique work life and lives of the many people that we work with. And uh, I uh, also take away one of the things when we talk about this, and it was a great comment that I've received through the chat, is that you can't aim for 120% fit today. How do we look at really great 70% fit in a role and really mobilize our internal talent, um, really achieve great diverse uh, in, uh, outcomes by ensuring that we can cultivate talent, um, support them with career coaching to move in and where throughout the organization, not needing to demonstrate that they are that 100% fit. So thank you from Mel, from our audience to, for pointing that out. That is a really strong focus uh, that we should all be committing to, that there is no such thing as 100% fit anymore. Well, I don't know, Mike, maybe out there in the fitness world, but not here <laughs> in our talent world today. So I am going to wrap up. I want to say a huge thank you to Zora, to Janet and Mike today. Uh, it's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, can't wait to share this with our broad audience today and so they can get sharing it with their uh, colleagues friends, family, whoever they want to share it with. Uh, we will also be sharing our talent trends research with you. And I have also seen that uh, Janet has shared uh, the wonderful article about uh, building systemic HR around the four R's. Uh, and thank you. And we look forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you for listening to Randstad SourceWrite's Talent Navigator podcast. Learn more about the trends you've heard about today at randstadsourcewrite.com.